So we're in, we're going to be studying Galatians chapter 5. It, it's a while back, we, we went through some parts of Galatians 5. I can't really remember. I just remember seeing a, a title on one of the podcasts that had Galatians 5 on it. But I know we went there because we were talking about a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. Leaven being uh, yeast and yeast getting into a dough and permeating throughout. Leaven is always talked about in the Bible as a negative thing, and we are to beware of leaven creeping into the church, and it can corrupt. It will corrupt. You have to get it purged out really quick, or it will keep working through. But uh, So we're going to be more detailed in chapter 5. The last verse of 4 tells us, So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. So now that we understand that, the first verse of chapter 5 tells us, this this is how we apply what we've learned. Now this allegory that we learned about, understanding that the the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. The son of, or Hagar, the bondwoman, represents the law, the whole dispensation of law that the Jewish people lived in, and they were a nation that were under that God-given law, all other nations were excluded. Now, with the promise of the free woman having a son named Isaac, now, from his seed, that is going to, in the future, which has been since Jesus arrived, but the future from when all that happened, it was going to be in the future, which is now way back in the past for us today, but that seed from Isaac was going to bring in a new dispensation of grace so that all of those nations that were excluded can be included in Christ. So that anybody can be invited in to what Abraham did for us, being the father of faith, we can be adopted into the family. So we are instructed in five, chapter 5, verse 1, to stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, what does it mean to stand fast? If you're just standing there, you're not being very fast. Well, that word fast would be the root word where we have uh, the word fastener. We have a bolt and a nut, and we, we tighten it up, and it secures, it holds things together. So we are to stand fast, very secure in this liberty. It's something that you have to guard against. You know, this nation was set up to be a free nation. So once we, were, once we were told by our founding fathers that we're a free nation, then we don't have to worry about anything ever again, right? Wrong. You have to fight for your freedom. There's going to be an enemy that will come and try to take your freedom away. The devil is all about bondage. He wants to keep you in bondage. The devil will want you to be in fear. He'll want you to be in worry and that you are easily controlled and he can manipulate you into doing things that are not for God. Just like an evil dictator wants you to be fearful, They don't want you to have any way of defending yourself. 
and, and they want you to be in bondage to them. We have to watch that. We have to be very careful and be ready to fight for our freedom. We have to stand fast in the freedom of just living a life here on this, in this world. But on a spiritual sense, we have to stand fast in that liberty that Christ gave us by dying for us. Verse 2, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Now, this, does, this is not saying that if you had gone through the process of circumcision that you're, you're done for. You, it's just you're, you've lost everything. You've messed up. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with, do you believe that you must be to be pleasing to God? What was happening was the Jewish people who were coming into the church, they were believing on Christ. Well, it didn't take long at all before they were trying to bring in what they held dear to them, which was the Jewish festivals, all of those, of those holy days that they kept. And they, they were special because they had circumcision and all the Gentile nations did not. So when the Gentile people were coming into the church, it was very easy for them to say, well, you've got to do this, this, and this if you want to be part of this. And Paul was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're, you're, you're leading them wrong. It, you don't have to be Jewish to be in this new religion. This is Christianity. This is, a, this is a freedom. And if, if you try to do anything, that you could say, well, I did this, so now I'm accepted. It ruins it. That's what ruins it. You must believe that Jesus did it all. You must receive it as a free gift. Okay? So what he's saying is the people who were saying you've got to be circumcised, if they actually said, okay, I'm going through this process so that I'll be saved, he's just telling them that if you try to earn your salvation by being a law keeper, then you've got to do all the law. And you're rejecting Jesus. You're totally rejecting Jesus, and you're trying to get salvation through another way, which is the law. So, so it, it's not saying you can't be circumcised. It, that's, that's not the point here. But if you don't know any better, you can easily come to that conclusion. Verse 3. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. So if you're coming in with that intention of doing the circumcision to be accepted, then you're missing it. Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. Ye are fallen from grace. So if, again, I think I've explained it. Any person who's trying to be accepted by keeping the law, you have fallen from grace because you cannot say... So if somebody was to come to you and say, and ask you, why are you saved? How are you saved? What would your answer be? Are you going to say, well, I know the Ten Commandments and I keep them all really, really well? You know, that could be an answer. That could be a very religious answer. There's all kinds of things that you might be able to say. Uh, I've heard many people say, well, I got baptized. I've heard many of, of those. Um, you know, and, I'm, and, and most of my experience in ministering has been you know, at the Western Virginia Regional Jail. So I've had a, a big, diverse representation of people who have different backgrounds and all kinds of different denominations or no church affiliation at all. They come into the jail, their life's a wreck, and they're just looking for something to help them. They're, and they're told, well, we've got these programs... They look at what's available, and they go, you know what? 
my grandma told me about going to church and I never did. Maybe I should do this one. Maybe that'll fix me. And they'll come in there as a, uh, a it's just a fix, fixer class. And it's my responsibility to point them to Jesus. Because people will use anything. Because they'll go to uh, an AA meeting and all of the all of the principles of living a Christian life are stolen, and they use them, but they, but they keep God and Christ out of it, and they replace it with uh, a higher power, and you you have to be outside of your you have to look to something else, but they they will never tell you to look to Jesus. Now some of them do. I can't say that they won't because because I I. Uh, followed up some AA meetings over there, and the guys who ran the AA meeting, they did point the guys to Christ. So, but I'm just talking about in general the AA program. They're, they probably weren't supposed to be doing what they were doing, but they were, and they would. All the guys would get up. They won't. They, they won't let them do it now. But uh, when we start back up, which is supposed to be any week now. Uh, at the end of the class, they would all get up and come to the corner of the room, and they would all join hands and pray before they left, before the, those guys left. But you can make anything your higher power. It can be a Coke, empty Coca-Cola bottle. It could be this really big, nice oak tree that's on a, in a park somewhere. So they get you concentrating on something else, and then they use the principles. So... I had so many of them say, well, I got baptized. And, and that's, their, that's what they're holding on to. But I've also been to training classes within this denomination that we're leaving, and I've seen the same thing. I've seen people who are leaders in churches, they're lay servants in churches, they go to the trainings, and their salvation experience is in their minds, is when they got baptized or sprinkled when they were babies. And that's all they have. I got sprinkled. See, that's sacramentalism. I, I, I was listening. Todd sent me uh, some John MacArthur uh, teachings. And this week, they're on the importance of preaching. Preaching the Word. Yeah, what... It goes along with what I was trying. If, if we would have had three hours this past Sunday, I, could have, I probably could have got it, all, got it all in. But I've, I've got the next sermon, which is going to be two Sundays from now. I already have it. I already had it ready. And it just we just didn't have time for it. But what Todd sent me reinforces what I, I preached about Sunday and what I'm going to be preaching about in the future and there's all of these uh, isms from from time gone by that have been sacramentalism. The Roman Catholic Church got really into that, and it was you know the the Lord's Supper. The juice actually turns into the blood of Jesus. The bread actually turns into the body, and you got to have the lighting of the candles, and you've got to have all these things, the sacraments, become your God. And when you participate in it, that's what saves you. So the Reformation happened and freed people from all of that only to go into something else that gets people off of Jesus alone and the Word of God alone and starts bringing in other things. So there's all kinds of other isms that have been brought into the church to get us off course. And that would be the leaven that will, in this chapter, may not get to it tonight, but this is an example right here. The, the whole book of Galatians, you can insert the other isms. This is legalism that it's dealing with. But there's other isms that come along that we must fight against. We've got to watch out for them. Uh, the whole charismatic movement started in the early 1900s 
And that's experientialism or something like that. I've listened to it twice. I'm going to have to listen to it more and write some things down. But John MacArthur was going through all these different things that have happened in the course of history, and he was talking about that, that exper- experientialism was you have to see things happen. You have to experience it so that, you know, when the Holy Spirit comes into you, you have to, something has to happen to prove to everybody that you got it. So that's where they started speaking in unknown tongues because they're copying what the apostles did back in Acts uh, chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit fell on them. They started speaking in languages they didn't understand. There's no way they could have known them uh, uh, carnally, carnally, uh, fleshly. Just they didn't learn them. So it was the Holy Spirit that gave them that utterance that they could speak the gospel in a language that they didn't know, but people who traveled from that area heard them and heard the gospel in their own language. So in the early 1900s, there was a movement where people would pray that the Holy Spirit would fall on them, and then they would just start speaking in unknown tongues, copying what they did back then. And it gets into all these other miraculous healings and all of these things that you must experience for it to be real. And if you don't experience them, then you didn't get the real thing. Uh, there's another one, and I can't remember the name of it, but it's the, it's the newest one, and it's whether you're a Christian or a Hindu or a Muslim, we all serve the same God. We need to, we need to do away with our differences that we keep fighting over, and we all just need to come together and love each other, and then we're all going to end up going to heaven, and it'll all be sorted out in heaven. That's one of the new ones that has, that has come around. And that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's uh, probably in the late 1900s. The one in the 60s, I think, was uh, the one about Jesus' love, and it's all about love, 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 and never, ever speak of anything that Jesus said that's negative. So all of these isms come along, and we're told to watch out for those things that come in, stand fast on the liberty that we have, that Christ did for us, and it needs to all be about Jesus, Christ crucified. And it's foolishness. Christ crucified on a cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us, who look to it for our salvation, we see the power in it. Because it takes everything and anything we could do away and totally puts all the focus on what he did. Five, for we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. So what are we waiting for? We're waiting for how, when it all plays out at the end, where we don't even have to worry about trying to stand fast anymore and to guard against all these things. Abraham looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. He never actually physically found it because it was in heaven. He, he wandered looking for it in faith. We are to live that way. We are to live in this world like we've already got all that's coming to us. Jesus went to build a home for us in heaven. And he's interceding for us. But he has a work for us to do. We're stuck in this imperfect world as, as believers just like unbelievers. We're, we're going through the same world everybody else is going through, but yet we're instructed to walk after the Spirit, not after the flesh. And how are we to actually do that? People will say, well, that's... So you've been justified, so that would be your sanctification, being every day by praying and reading the Word and hearing the preaching and going to Sunday school 
all those things that good little Christians are supposed to do, you will be sanctified. You're being made more and more holy as you live this life. Well, hopefully you are maturing over time, and you are getting better at the Christian life. But we, we should be able to do that from the very beginning as far as you've you, you got certain sins in your life. When you are converted and justified, you have to believe that you're a new creature in Christ. The old man is crucified, and there are certain sins that we tend to work on. But then there's other sins, and we got a list of them in this chapter, that if you try to work on them, it's just proof that you didn't get the conversion. You're not saved if you're working on them. You know, one of the things in the, in the list is uh, murders. Murders. So you, you're converted, and you, you come to church, and you have your little testimony, and you say... I haven't killed near as many people this week as I did last week. This Christian stuff is really working good. And everybody go, oh, wow, y'all, that is so awesome. No, they would not accept that, right? Because murderers, that would cease completely. They would confess that they murdered, and they would say, okay, come get me and put me on trial. I need to go to jail because I'm 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 a believer now, and I've killed people. I should be, I should be killed now. So there are other sins that, like, like being angry. You know, we're, we really shouldn't be angry anymore when we're converted. We shouldn't. And if you are a person who every day is getting angry, you need to go back and look at salvation. Because that is a sign that you weren't really changed. If you are a thief, you are stealing. If John MacArthur was talking about these things that you can look at, if you are still doing these things, you're probably not really saved. And, and he was talking about how uh, we have locks on everything. We have security systems with cameras and alarms and all that stuff. We... we a nice, well-dressed business person who's living a good life. They're embezzling money and they get thrown in prison. It doesn't matter who you are and what level of life. It's, a, it's something that shows that you're not a Christian when you steal. All right, verse 6. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? So, if you're supposed to be standing fast, standing secure in the liberty that Jesus has given to you, but there's going to be people that the devil is using to come and take it away. All these isms that I've been trying to remember, uh, all these different things, we are told that, in 7, who did hinder you? Who did the devil use to bring this nonsense to you to where you start drifting away from the truth? There are people out there all the time that are going to try to convince you of a better way. Oh, you don't have victory in just believing in Jesus? Well, let's add this to it. And you'll never get to where you need to be because you've already messed it up by adding to something simple that you still haven't gotten. You just need to get the first part right. Eight, this persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. Okay? Jesus has made it plain. And then the the verse, here's the verse. We're actually going to read it. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. So once those teachings creep in and somebody gets excited about it, people are very interested in lies and falseness, bad news, 
If you have something bad to say about somebody, they'll listen to it. It's, it for whatever reason, people love to hear about what something they did, that person did bad. <clears throat> the news that we, we don't, we don't have any, hardly any good news sources, but if you look through the, what's trending on whatever news organizations that are out there, if, if a pastor does something sinful, it's going to the top right away. It's going to the top. If a pastor is just accused of something and there's no proof, it's going to the top. They'll talk all about it and then find out it wasn't true. Oh, well, our bad. And, and they don't, they, if they print a correction, it's, if it's like in, like in the old days in the newspaper, the correction was always in the back somewhere. So they can just say, yeah, we corrected it. It's in the paper, but it's in the back. But the story was first front page. The lie was front page. And then they didn't care about if it was true or not. They just wanted to do the work of the devil and smear a godly person. <clears throat> a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. So that's a pretty strong warning against somebody who is bringing this stuff in. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. So basically, what, what, what Paul was saying is, if he adds something to the cross of Christ, people will accept the preaching way better. If you just preach the cross, the blood being shed the cross, and it's all about Jesus. If you preach just that, people don't like it. A lot of people just don't like it. But if you add something to it, people are more accepting of it. Um, one of the things uh, MacArthur was saying was uh, he was, had a, a pastor came and was talking with him, and they were asking, well, how, do your, how does your church do the worship service? And how long do you put into it? And he said, well, John MacArthur said, well, we, we usually have about an hour and a half, an hour and 45 minutes of our worship service on Sunday mornings. And he said, well, the, the other pastor said, well, how much of that time is you doing the preaching? He said, about 50 minutes or so, about 50 minutes of it. And that other pastor said, well, sure is a lot of worship getting cut out from all that talking you're doing. And... John MacArthur quoted Martin Luther saying that the preaching of the word was like the t number one form of worship is for people to intently and reverently listen to the word of God being read and preached on. That's part of worship. That is what is like the number one part of worship is the preaching of the word. And he said, well, in today, now things have changed a little bit. I can give you some examples, but it got to where people, the excuse for short messages and short services was people's attention span had really gotten, you know, short. You have to do sound bites. So all these people would get on a video and they would just watch a five-minute video and boom, that's all they needed. And so the church needs to change and be to fit the world. And he, he had, would have none of it. No, I, I, I preached for 50 minutes 20 years ago. I'm preaching for 50 minutes today. I'm not changing because we have young people who have a short attention span. I'm not, I'm not changing because of that. And now we're finding out that some of the most popular podcasts are an hour long. Or longer, the most. The, if you look at the ones that are the top rated, most listened to, it's one hour podcast, forty five minute podcast. Longer ones are the ones that are most listened to. So it's really nonsense. We we need to not be ashamed of preaching the word, and 
it's just too bad if there's people who are saying, well, you, it needs to be shorter or we just don't need that much. And I've said this so many times. We used to have a culture where you had Sunday morning service, you had Sunday evening service, you had Wednesday night service, you had Sunday school. You even had people meeting in homes and it couldn't get enough. And as time went by, time, time has gone on, well, it's just so hard to do Wednesdays, so they might cut out Wednesday night, or they might cut out Sunday night. I mean, I've been in churches where they, first they cut out Sunday night. Just not enough, people, too many people complaining about it, so they cut out Sunday nights, and then they eventually cut out Wednesday nights, and then you're just down to that, your Sunday. And then you hear people say, well, Sunday's kind of going along. I mean, we were, we were in here until 12.15. So you just want to keep cutting it back, cutting it back, cutting it back to where, well, we really don't even show up. Let's just, let's just do Internet. You know, it, we, we just keep getting less and less when we need to be doing more and more. As we see the day approaching, you assemble even more. And that's what, uh, what I like about this church, what I've seen over the past two years, is Bible studies, Sunday school class, longer preaching, and people wanting CDs produced, and let's get it out on a podcast, and you know what? It seems like you're struggling to get everything in on a Sunday. How about doing Wednesday? And so you can explain a little bit better and don't feel like you're rushed. And so we're adding, we're doing, we're, we are assembling more and more. It may not be hardly anybody showing up for them, but at least as far as a church, we've, we ha- we're going the, the right direction instead of the way everybody's done it over the past several years. <clears throat> Twelve, I would, they were even cut off which trouble you. <laughs> now, uh, in the Believer's Bible Commentary, William, Mac- William MacDonald, he says, he's, he's saying that all this talk about circumcision, 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 and he says Paul is saying, uh, I would that they even cut off, were cut off. And he's like, whoa, make a eunuch out of the people who are troubling you with this. That's what he said. I'm like, whoa. So Paul is actually, is Paul saying that? Because all this talk about circumcision. 13, for brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Of course, you have a whole chapter in 1 Corinthians dedicated to charity, which is, in in the King James Bible, in the English language, we have the word love. Well, in Hebrew, and especially Greek, you have multiple words that can describe different levels of love. Well, so in in, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, it'll say, in most trans, most versions, it'll say love, 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 but it's it's charity in the King James because the King James translators knew that that love that it was talking about was bigger than just regular love because there's different levels of love. Uh, the love that I have for my wife is way different than the love I have for other things. You know, it's just it's different. Um, everybody loves a beautiful scenery, you know, the sun setting, all oh, I love that, but it's a different kind of love. So charity is a special kind of love that you get from God. It would be more of an agape love. When you can love the unlovable. See, when you become a Christian, you see somebody that before you were a Christian, there's no way you could love them. But after you have been loved by Jesus and you're changed, then you have that kind of love in you to where now you're able to love the unlovable. So this liberty that we have, we can go back to Romans chapter 5, the end of chapter 5 of Romans, and you can see where the 
Jewish people were saying, oh, so grace, God's grace is shown even more when you sin. Ah, well, let's just sin away. And then at the beginning of chapter 6, it's like, God forbid. How, no, how could you have that in your mind? How could you think that we should sin more? And here it's saying that don't use your liberty for selfishness and for you. We are to serve others. Love, but by love serve one another. 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, not not a single word, but a one saying. That's what that means. It's obviously not one word. It's one saying. And what is that saying? Even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. <clears throat> but if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. So when you're when you're under law and trying to keep law, you're going to be fighting and fussing because that person doesn't, it's not doing as good a job as you are. You know, I, I, I'm doing this, this, and this, and they're just, nah, they're just not doing it. But when you get rid of all of that law stuff <clears throat> and you have freedom, you're thinking more about your neighbor, and those things are supposed to go away, all of the uh, fighting. Now, the next section, we'll, we'll go ahead and try to finish it up. Uh, this next section is about how do, we, how do we actually accomplish it? And it's being led by the Spirit and not by the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness or lewdness. Uh, lasciviousness is odd, perversion type thing, lustful things. Idolatry, witchcraft, Hatred, variance. Now, variance would be, and the way I see it is God said there is man and woman, and marriage is between a man and a woman. Variance would be, well, I don't care what God says. I say it's, it doesn't have to be man and woman in marriage. Um, it could be all kinds of things that you change what God said. That's variance. Emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. So all, that whole list of those, of those things, if you are actively doing those things, then you're obviously not walking after the Spirit or being led by the Spirit. And if the Spirit's not in you, it's because you're not saved. You're not born again. The conversion never happened. But if the conversion happened and you're truly saved, then this list of things have stopped. <clears throat> of which, uh, all right, so uh, after this list of all these bad things, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, temperance. Against such there is no law. None of those things you would be able to do by trying to keep the law. It's, it's the fruit, not fruits. It's a list of what, nine things? You've got a whole list of these things, and it's the fruit. All of these things is produced by the Spirit. There is no law. And they that are Christ, 
have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Now, that goes back to Romans. It goes back to Colossians. You can go to other places and you can read about the old man is crucified. This says, this says and they that are Christ have crucified. It's not they're trying to. They're in the process of it, but they have. It's something that happened in the past. The day that you were born again, you have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So that tells us that even if you are a born-again child of God, you're being led by the Spirit, but you don't always walk after the Spirit. You could actually believe that the old man is still around and that that sin that you used to take pleasure in, you might want to dabble in that a little bit, but it's telling you that you need to remember that you're free. You're free. You, you're a new person in Christ. The old man is dead, has been crucified a long time ago. Whenever it was you got saved, are you going to believe it or not? It's that simple. It's not go work on it more and try to, try to tame this flesh. Because when you go to do that, you're admitting that the old man or the, or the, the flesh was not crucified. That's, that's what you're admitting. All right, well, I'm going to go work on this filthy flesh. I just fell back into some sin, and I'm going to go work on it. Why are you going to go work on it? That means that you're admitting that the old man is not crucified. You just need to go back and have victory the same way you did to get born again and have victory in just believing that what the Word of God said about you is true and just go on. Because you can get all wrapped up in yourself as another trick of the devil to get you looking at yourself and he's, he will tell you, you still have some bad thoughts every now and then that you shouldn't have now. See, you're not, you're not worthy, you can't do this. Okay, you're right, I, I'm going to go work on myself. And what about this and what about that? Oh yeah, ooh, yeah, I need to work on myself. And, you, and you'll get all, you, you can make a work of trying to tame and fix your flesh that will take up all your time because you'll never get victory there and the devil's sitting over there laughing that you're all occupied and being all holy and I'm going to read more scripture and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that all trying to fix yourself when all you have to do is believe what the Bible says and that the old man is crucified you just need to look at the devil and say the old, the old man is dead why do you want me to work on him? I ain't working on him. He's, he's, he's not worth working on. I'm just going gonna, gonna to walk after the Spirit. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to pray to God to give me strength. The devil's sitting there going like, no, 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 don't do that. Don't pray. Don't, don't believe it. I guess I should read 26 just so we can say we finished. Yeah. Chapter 5. It doesn't really go with it. It probably goes more with six. But let us not be serious of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Well, maybe that's what I've just explained. Don't be thinking about yourself, vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Don't, don't look at others. Don't worry about others as far as you're not going to church as much as you should. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. Don't be too concerned about that. You're free. Sometimes people don't realize how much you pray at home. We're cats. What's that? We're cats. We're cats. Not pigs. Huh? No. We're cats, not pigs. Right. Cats. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a good story. You can get it out of Charles Spurgeon's book. All of grace, and I think it was at chapter 6, chapter 7, somewhere in there, of being a new creature in Christ. We don't want to be prettied up pigs, cleaned up, that could go back to the mire 
and be perfectly happy in the mud. If we are a new creature in Christ, we have been miraculously converted into like a cat, which might fall from time to time, but when they fall in the mud, they can't stand to be there, and they jump right back out and clean themselves up. So that was the analogy that uh, Charles Spurgeon used back in the 1800s, and it's one of my favorites. Go ahead. Would that explain in verse 19 the uncleanness? Unclean? Yeah, in verse 19 where it has that long list. Well, uncleanness, it's, it is, uh, as far as what William McDonald said, it's just very, very vague, but it's uh, any kind of immoral thinking or, or any, just immor- immoral stuff is uncleanness. But he does, have a li- he does have that list. He says uncleanness is moral, evil, sensuality. That's, just, that's his short little definition. So adultery was the first one is unfaithfulness in the marriage relationship. Fornication is unlawful sexual activity. Uncleanness is moral evil. Lewdness or lasciviousness is shameless conduct involving absence of restraint. Idolatry is not only the worship of idols, but also the immorality that accompanies demon worship. Uh, Sorcery or witchcraft... The Greek word being related to drugs. So it, the Greek word is pharmakiai, which we get the word pharmacy. Um, I, and I don't even know if I said that Greek word right. But, and it says, because drugs were, were used in sorcery, the word came to mean intercourse with evil spirits or the use of magic spells. It may also include superstitions, uh, bad luck, and so on. So he's got all of those listed out here. Dissensions, down the list a little bit, are separations caused by disagreements, heresies, self-willed opinions. Any other questions? Yeah, sorcery and witchcraft is a very evil thing. Very evil thing. Controlling people, and you can control with substances. Uh, A lot of bad things happen. It's why you warn young people. They run off to college, and they're at a party, and boys will put something in a girl's drink, and when she's out of it, and then they mistreat her. Just people are evil. They do very bad things, and uh, messing with the person's mind like that through those substances. It's amazing what people will do when they get hooked on drugs. The, the, there's, just, there's just all morals are gone. People will do things they never would do. I mean, I, I've, I've been around <clears throat> quite a few people that have gone through those types of things, being addicted to all kinds of different drugs. Uh, you know, when you hang out at the jail every week, you come in contact with people that have gone through some really, really bad things. <clears throat> and they, they just do horrible stuff. It's so sad. So, you know, we, we've had a whole, a whole lot of stuff happen this past two weeks, and uh, Sunday's message was was based on all of the heartache and the evil things that people do. And what is the what's the fix to it? What would fix the problem? I mean, you got all these people saying we well, can do this, 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 I mean, and 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 there's a lot of great ideas and there are a lot of stupid ideas. But really, if you could take a person, and you could pull them out of all the mess, and you could show them the Word of God, teach them the Word of God, and they would believe it, and they would ask Jesus to come into their heart, and they would be born again. That fixes everything. 
A, tr- a true, not a, you know, because you can say Christianity will fix it. And, and people say, oh, and they'll start going back in times past where the Christian people would fight against, uh, like, like the Catholic people, and they would kill each other. Oh, Christianity can't fix anything. Look, look at this, look at this. I'm like, no, I'm not talking about what people did in the name of Christianity. What I'm talking about is a true born-again situation for somebody. If a person is truly born again, that fixes everything. They would never kill somebody else. They just won't do it because they're a new creature. Now, if you was to go before our government and say, this is the fix, they don't want to hear it at all. But if, if I could walk in front of Congress and the president and I could say, you're coming up with all these ways to fix evil when Jesus figured it out a long time ago and all we need is for the person to be born again. And everything that government has done in this country has gone the opposite from that and you're sitting around wondering why everything is falling apart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and Father, I thank you for people who want to hear it, and Father, people who know that you are the answer. And Father, we want to have confidence to be able to speak what is foolishness to the world, but Father, we know that you can change people to where they will love you, they will love the people around them. And Father, we can bring peace to those who need it so desperately, the peace that only you can give. Father, we pray that we will have more opportunities to share your love with those who need to hear it. Father, we have lost so many people in this country, people who have died from drug overdoses, people who have just lost all hope. The suicide rates are greater than they've ever been. And Father, as a country, we're turning from you. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would start to touch people to where we would turn from our wicked ways, that we would turn back to you for the answers. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray.